0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Kelly. It's a pretty tough act to follow between our worship and then Kelly's announcement, so I'll try. Yeah. Hey, uh, good morning. Normally, you guys would see Jeff, and if you're following the past six weeks, we've been in Romans— uh, it took him six weeks to finish chapter one, which is awesome. I think it's been amazing that we could spend so much time. Uh, it feels like we just started Romans, but it's been six weeks. So he gets a break, he's off, uh, so you're stuck with me. If you have missed any of these, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, I think they've been fantastic. Uh, there's also been some Bible studies as a woman's group on Thursdays as a men We meet here at 6.30, Wednesday mornings. Love to have you guys be part of that. Uh, wake up a little bit early, but it's worth it. But the Romans has been incredible. So what we're going to do today is we're going to stand... For the reading of God's word. Uh, If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me just to follow along, but it'll be on the screen. And it's only five verses this morning. But Romans chapter 2 is where we're at, the first five verses. So it says this Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteousness, righteous judgment will be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to pray real quick. God, this is your word. I pray that you speak to us, that you speak through me, that you silence me, that, God, you are glorified. Uh, You reveal, because you know our hearts, you reveal where we need you, where we need to trust you, and that, God, you are the judge, and we just give you the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen. So, for the sake of time, I'm just going to recap the past two weeks. Jeff took two weeks looking at Romans 1, verses 24 to 32, so those nine verses and what they are is that's what happens when God gave us up to the lust of our hearts. He said, "The Romans shows what was the result of that. And, and Jeff, um, you know, the first week, two weeks ago, he walked through the garden and how that happened, how we desired the lust of our hearts and how we still do that today and how it, was, it made sense for Romans, uh, how Adam and Eve, who gave into the lust, they led to pain and suffering and as a result, a broken relationship with God. And then, so Jeff summed it up in four movements. He said this. He said that there's a revelation of the truth. We realized what the truth was, and as a result, then we rejected that truth. We replaced the truth, and ultimately, at the end is the wrath of God as a result of that. And then last week, he, he summed it up in two, by again, looking at the same nine verses, he said this. He said, The pursuit of our desires is killing us, and only Jesus can rescue us. What really leads us into, as we look at It says at the very beginning of us calling us out as judges. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you my three main points. Number one, we all want to be a judge. We all want to be the judge. Number two, this kind of really goes in parallel with number one, is that we are the problem, not the solution. And my third and final point is only God is fit to be the judge of all judges. So that's what we're going to work through from the passage. So if we're honest on that first point, we all want to be judged. Uh, There's a lot of judginess going on, right? If you have social media, it pretty much amplifies our judginess. Uh, Anybody here like being judged? Anybody like being criticized? But we're all judgy, aren't we? None of us like it, but we all want to be judgy. And why is that? Why is there so much judginess? Well, if you're honest, if you look around the world, it is not the way it's supposed to be. It's broken. And we know that. So we have this desire to see the world fixed, but we can't agree on how it should be. And the reason is, we all, we were desired to see things made right. In a very simple term, that is righteousness, right? We have this desire that we see things that are unjust and we want to make them just. That's justice. So All of us have this desire for righteousness and justice, and we want a judge to do it. But who should be this judge? What I love about Paul's writing, most of the time, sometimes it's confusing because he has some run-ons, but in the very first verse, in verse 1, he says, therefore, and when he says therefore, he's connecting back to verses 24 through 32, but really 29 through 32, and I'm going to reread those real quick. This is the li- list. Of, it says this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And I'll be honest, when I read that list, it's really easy to be like, oh man, I'm not all of that. Or, uh, you know, I used to be, but God God made me right. But how do I help those people that are like that? I think our minds go there really quickly. And I think it is because of our judginess. it's our desire to make ourselves right. We try to justify ourselves. Let me give you an example of this. Who here, show your hands, thinks they're a good driver? Oh, you guys are way more honest. All right, for those that didn't raise your hands, kudos to you because you were honest. Um, when I drive, I think I'm a really good driver, and everyone around, around me isn't bad, right? They're either going too slow or too fast, or they're not paying attention. They're going across lines. They're looking at their phone, right? I found a quote. Uh, Leanne told me about this quote and I found it and it was part of a Michelin Tire survey but I'm going to read the quote first so George Carlin was a a comedian he says anybody driving slower than you is an idiot and anybody going faster than you is a maniac (laughs) what I found though in this survey right? so Michelin Tire surveyed a bunch of Americans and they said majority of Americans don't trust other drivers and they say that they witness unsafe driving behavior regularly but here's the, here's the funny part, 81%, 81% remain supremely confident in their own abilities behind the wheel. It, the math doesn't add up, right? But we all think we're a good driver. Um, I used to use my horn a lot more because I thought it was like instrument from God that let people know where I was. Uh, I don't use it as much, especially in society, right? You, you're afraid to use your horn. But then you get that awkward when you're stuck behind someone at the light, the light's green and you know they're on their phone. How long do you wait to be before you beat the horn? And then it's really then what happens when you're the, the third car back, and the f- car in front of you is not even paying attention to the car that the light's green. How long do you wait then? Because you're trying to like, hey, I want you to know, but I'm not trying to be... We all admit that we can justify that really easily, right? Very easily. We all think we're good. And I want to move past the driving, but I think it just sets an example of that. We all look at ourselves say, we're good, they're not. We all want to be the the judge. So that word, therefore, he's connecting back. And and really, if we sum it up, it's in verse 31, foolishness, faithfulness, heartless, ruthless. That's all of us. So then Paul goes on, he says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man. And that can be, O man, O woman, O child. We have no excuse. For every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, Paul calls us the judge, practice the very same things. Paul doesn't waste any time calling us out. He makes it clear to any of us that when we judge, we're wrong because we're guilty of all the same. And I think Paul wants us to admit that we're the judge. He wants us to say, hey, he puts it, the judge, in verse 1. He wants us to acknowledge that we think We have a right to be the judge. When I was younger, there's a great uh, Christian band called DC Talk. And I used to, I remember I got, I went and bought a cassette, not even a CD, the cassette. And uh, I wanted to hear the lyrics, so I sat there and I would hit pause and try to write it down. Really old school. Right now you don't have to do it. You can Google any song and get all the lyrics. But in the one line from the song, I Want to Be in the Light, it was this. It says... I am the king of excuses. I have one for every selfish thing I do. And that still hits home. And I think what happens as when I realize that I want to be the judge, I am quick to make excuses for why I should be the judge. There's a quote from John Stott. He says this. He says, We work ourselves up to a state of self-righteous indignation over the disgraceful behavior of other people while the very same behavior seems so not so nearly serious when it's ours, but when it's theirs. It's been a really hard sermon to put together because God's exposed a lot of my issues. And how quick I am to condemn others but excuse myself. And there's the line that Jeff used two weeks ago. He said, The problem with sin the problem with sin is that it doesn't feel like sin to us. It feels like life. And that's why we excuse our sins so quickly, but not those around us. We're quick to call them out, but we excuse ourselves. So I think when we're looking at any of Paul's writing, it's really important to understand who he's writing to. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome, a church he's never been to, a group of people that are made up, a church made up of Gentiles and Jews. And what I've studied, a lot of the scholars believe that when Paul talks about the foolish, the faithless, the heartless, the ruthless, that a lot of the Jews heard that and said, oh, that's those Gentiles. That's not us. And I think we do the same thing when we hear Jeff's sermons the past two weeks and say, oh, that's them, not us. We're at church. And it's interesting because I think the the reason the the Jews did it is because they're like, hey, we're God's chosen people. We're it. That's the Gentiles. This applies to them. And if you look at just the history of the Jews, right, t- they leave Egypt, they get out of Exodus. And as they leave, they ha- go to the promised land, it takes them a while, they get there, and they're like, hey, God, and God gives them judges. And they had some good judges, some judges that sought after God, that sought his character, that realized that they couldn't judge on their own. But then you had some really bad judges, and that led the people down some bad, the nation of Israel did some bad things. And then you fast forward and they say, hey, God, a judge isn't good enough. We want a king. We want to be like the other nation. So he gives them a king and things start out okay. And then they get a bad king because the king thinks it should be their standard, not God's. So they go on this cycle of good and bad and they, they repent and come back to God and then they go back on their own way. And I think we, we do the same thing. We are very similar to the Jews. So then you fast forward to the coming of Jesus And the Israelites, they were looking for the Messiah, but not the Messiah that they thought. They wanted a government overthrow. They wanted the Romans out. They wanted them to return to power. The Jewish leaders wanted their their power. They wanted righteousness and justice, but it to benefit them. And I'm going to call myself out here, but the more I study this, the more I'm like, man, I am like the Jewish religious leaders and not in a good way. I want to be in authority, not under authority. I have no problem telling people what to do, but I don't always like being told what to do. Hopefully you can relate to it. It's not just me standing here looking awkward. I hope you can relate to that. But it makes me realize is that I want to be the standard. I want people to be judged on my standards and not on Jesus. And that's our issue. We want to be the judge. We think we know better than God. Been the issue since the beginning, and it's the issue today. It's the issue that Paul writes to them. Even so, if we look in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is given the sermon on the mount, and he says this judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye where there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, I know this passage is often misused and when I googled uh, some things about it, there are so many people like, oh yeah, this is my reason why. I can judge you, but you can't judge me. is our really common defense. But I'll be honest, this passage has really changed. Uh, First when I got married and then when I had kids. When I first got married, I was like, man, this is amazing. My wife is awesome. And then I started to realize that she has this desire to be right. (laughs) Now, she often is, this is bad because it's being recorded, but she's often more right than I am. And I didn't want to reflect and think about that. But I also didn't want to reflect on the fact that I have a strong desire to be right as well. So that passage really spoke. And then I had kids, and I was like, oh, Man, they were amazing and then you start to realize that they wake up at the worst time possible, they don't care about how tired you are, they don't really care about your time at all. And it doesn't change, as they get older it just changes. Instead of crying in the middle of the night or having an accident in the diaper, it changes. I mean recently I was playing horse, so if you don't know horses it's a basketball game where you shoot and you try to get the other person to miss the shot and spell the horse. Well, I'm very competitive and i got married and rose had to tone down my competitiveness and then i became a dad and rose had to tone it down and god's still working on my competitiveness i'm still toning it down but as i was playing a horse i noticed my boys being upset that i was beating them and i was real quick in my mind oh yeah look how bad they are <laughs> and then i was like oh look where they're learning it from and i thought to myself man if the roles are reversed how do i react if my Six-year-old and seven-year-old are beating me in a horse. How, how do I react? How do I handle myself? What's interesting is how bad I am and how bad we are at looking and finding the faults of the people we love. And we see it in those closest to us. We are so quick to judge. We're so quick to look at them, but justify ourselves. Which really leads me to Point number two today is that we are the problem, not the solution. And I know when we come to church, we often don't want to hear it, but we are the problem. So please don't judge me here, all right? But I was driving the other day up to Richmond and flipping through those, I had it on scan, and this song came on and it said Taylor Swift. And I don't, I'm not a fan of Taylor Swift if you are. I'm going to be a little judgy. I think her voice is a little whiny. You can judge me. Uh, but it was interesting. I heard the words and she said this. He said, It's me, I'm the problem it's me. And the lyrics go on, it says, I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. And I thought, man, here's this pop artist, this icon to so many people, and she admits it. But I'm not going to admit that I'm the problem, because I think I'm the solution at times. I think if people could be like me, I'd be okay. And then when I'm honest, I'm like, oh, that'd be really bad. If we had more people like me in the world, it wouldn't be good. So this pop artist admits that we're the problem. If you look at me with me in verse chapter two, in Romans 2, verse 2, it says this. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So as Paul connects us back to the foolishness, the faithlessness, the heartless, the ruthless. We practice those things. Verse 3, verse three says, Do you suppose, O oh man? If you want, you can insert your name there. Do you suppose, Dan? you who judge those who practice such things and yet doom yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? It's interesting is the Message Bible says, do you think that you can distract God by pointing at them and saying, God, look how bad they are, and God will not look at me? And the answer is I do. I think we're so quick to look around us and point our fingers and judge to try to make ourselves feel better or look better. Like, look at my wife. She's always trying to be right. Look how I'll be the bigger man, right? Or my kids are so competitive. Look at me. We are so quick to think that God is distracted by that. God will look at us and say, oh, man, you're not that bad. And I think Paul knows this better than most of us. So Paul, his history real fast, his name was Saul. And after Jesus dies and rises again, Saul is a religious leader who's moving up the ranks and becoming a big-time name. And if you look in, in at the end of Acts chapter 7, is, uh, the Jews are viewing Christianity as a threat because of its power. They want to be the judge. They want to have the authority over right? So Stephen gives this great speech, and he calls them out, and he says that you guys have killed Jesus the Messiah. And they are so upset, they grab him, they pull him out of the city they take off their garments, they lay them at the feet of Saul. They pick up rocks and they stone and kill Stephen. In Acts 8 verse 1 says, and Saul approved of his execution, of Stephen's execution. Paul approved. Paul played the role of the judge. And there arose a great day of persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and all were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria And it goes on to verse 3, says, But Paul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul later has a, on the road to Damascus, encounters Jesus, has an radical encounter of Jesus. He goes from being this Jewish leader who is willing to judge and really to declare execution on someone, having this radical experience and having his life changed. And if you look at one of the letters he writes later on, in 1 Timothy 1, verses 13 through 15, it says this. This is what Paul writes. This is how he puts it out there for us. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignor- ignorantly in unbelief and in the grace of our Lord overflowed for me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Some of the versions say he is the ch- Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. It's easy to say, oh yeah, Paul says that because he's Paul. He has to put that in there. Paul doesn't have to put any of his faults in there. We don't have to know how bad he is. But Paul puts him in there because he recognizes how bad he is. He recognizes that he is the problem. And yet I don't want to admit that I'm the problem. It's always someone else. And I'll be honest, if you guys knew the thoughts I had this past week, I would be so ashamed. God knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And yet he loves us and pursues us. And what I love is that Paul puts it out there. Paul recognizes that he is not the solution, but Jesus is. Jesus didn't come for the righteous, but for sinners. He says that he came as a physician for the sick, the heal. What I also love is that Paul didn't just keep putting himself down. My takeaway is that I don't want you to sit here and point yourself and say how bad you are. But we do have to recognize how bad we are. We can't just sit in and do nothing. Paul recognized his new identity in Christ. This allowed Paul to realize that he was not the solution. But only Jesus was and Jesus is the solution. And the Bible makes it so clear that we're sinners. We can never do enough good. Paul writes later on uh, in Romans that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we fixed it, not after we made it right, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We can't do enough good. But so easily, I forget this. And really, I forget, or I even disregard that I'm not the solution. Fortunately, praise God that he doesn't put me next to him and say, hey Dan, you know this person, what do you think? Judge him. God doesn't need me to say, hey God, You know, I know you're busy, so let me help you out. Here's what you should do. He doesn't need that, but I think he does at times. If we go back to the example of my kids being really competitive, or if we think about my wife when she wants to be right or I want to be right, really we have two options. The first option is we can be a critic. I can just tell my wife or my kids how wrong they are, how bad they are. I can be a judge that makes me the solution and not, not Jesus. If we're honest, the world is really already full of critics right now. Think about if you go to a restaurant. What do you do? We write a review, right? We read reviews. We say, hey, how was the atmosphere? How was the food? How was the waitstaff? We post pictures of it. Uh, we, we buy stuff. I'm, when I buy something, I want to read the reviews. I want to know what do others think. If I go to a hotel or an Airbnb, I'm going to read what people say about it. We are constantly criticizing. We're judging. I wanted to try to get a screenshot, but if you Google Oak City Church, you can review a church. And the funny thing about the screenshot, it said that the last time I visited Oak City was four years ago. So I don't know how that works. But you can review and criticize churches. And there's more that we, but the world doesn't need more Critics. It doesn't, especially it doesn't need religious critics. Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, he says, Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. He hits it on the head, but I do want to call out the fact that when he says By loving. We are not to accept or approve of all behaviors. See, God puts people in our lives where we are called to love them. But we're not the solution. We need to point them to Jesus. So instead of criticizing, our second option becomes to be like Jesus, to be a servant. Jesus came with no power, no authority. No wealth, no riches, no fame, to be a servant. Paul starts off Romans 1 with his introduction of being a servant in Christ. And I want to call myself a servant of Christ, but I know I'm not there, that I need God's grace, I need to grow. So how do I serve my wife and my kids? Well, I start by not judging them, by not criticizing them, by not calling them out, but instead pointing them back to Jesus. Because we are called to reflect the love, the grace of Jesus to them. But for us to do it, we have to first recognize, and this brings me to my third and final point, that only God is fit to be the judge of all judges. And that all stems from verse 4, which I think is the crux of this passage today. And verse 4 says this, Or you, do you presume on the riches of His kindness? and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And I want to sit there and the first word, presume. Presume, when I looked at it, it says underestimate. Do we underestimate God's value, of his, the value of God's character? I also have studying and said that the word presume had a connotation of disregarding or even despising church let me ask you do you do we disregard or despise the riches of god's kindness of his forbearance his patience if we look at some more of the words the word kindness which is also fruit of the spirit the fountain could be defined as selfless compassionate merciful jesus modeled his kindness when he was here he heals the sick he fed the hungry he taught people he prayed with them and on the cross jesus kindness poured out as he said father forgive them for they know not what they do. The word forbearance means to hold back judgment. Another definition uh, said, restraint in the face of difficult people. Praise God that he has shown his forbearance to me. If I was God, I would have wiped me out multiple times. And the last word is patient. God is patient with us, even when we don't deserve it. So I want to ask you a question, two questions. The first one is this, where has God been most patient with you? And when I asked myself this question, I was like, man, I've taken this for granted. Where is God most patient with you? And the second question is, where do you need to be more patient with God? And only you can answer that. God is patient with us, but are we patient with God? I think this is exposed when you're in a relationship, whether you're a son or a daughter, right? If you're married, you're not. If you have kids, this is constantly exposed. And for me, it's my lack of, my lack of kindness, my lack of forbearance, my lack of patience. And if those are the characters of God, then I am definitely not fit to be a judge. Not only because I lack those characters, but I know my thoughts, I know my sins, in the beginning of the message, I said that we long for a world to be made right. We long, we desire for righteousness and justice, but we need a perfect judge to deliver that. Not a sinful, broken judge like me or you. Verse 5 says, because of our hard and impenitent hearts, we are storing up wrath for ourselves." Paul writes his letter reminding the Jews, reminding us that it's not just the Gentiles, it's not just those people. We're all guilty of the same. And if we think for a second that God's kindness will mean the day we die, the day we meet him, he'll say, hey, you tried really hard. Good try. We're going to be in a world of hurt. God sent his son not so we could try our best, but because he knew we couldn't do enough. Jesus came on our behalf. He took the wrath of God, the death that we deserve. And Paul is urging his reminders that we are all guilty. It's why we need a Savior. If we skip ahead to verse 11, it says, For God shows no partiality. All of us are guilty. Jew, Gentile, us. We're all guilty. But we want our good works. We want law. make us look good because we all know how bad we are. So really we're given two choices. We can either A, we can deny God as the rightful judge, continue to be a judge who views others as the problem and ignore our own sin. Or we can admit and see that we're part of the problem. To look to knowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior and lean on the character of God to lead us to repentance. I don't know where some of you are today, but if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk to you. He doesn't view you just for your wrong. He views you as a child. He longs to know you by name. If we look at Titus chapter 3, Paul writes this. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to the various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, his kindness, his patience. So by the washing, the regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified By His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. To become children, to be heirs of Christ Jesus. Because of His grace, we are His. I heard this from a pastor, and I'm going to just use this. He says, we need a judge who is righteous. His name is Jesus Christ. We need a judge who is impartial. His name is Jesus Christ. We need a judge who is all-knowing. His name is Jesus Christ. We need a judge who is perfectly righteous. His name is Jesus Christ. We need a judge who is willing to be our victim. His name is Jesus Christ. We need a judge who gives us grace. His name is Jesus Christ. And we need a judge who can bring heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. If you're a follower, I want to leave you with this challenge. Um, the world doesn't need us to be critics. Critics. The world needs us to love our neighbor. We need to stop critiquing those around us, stop being a judge. And I get that you'll see people that are, you know, in sin or don't have it right. They don't need you to criticize them. They need you to, in a way, disciple them or coach them, to come alongside them, to be in a relationship, to love them and point them to Jesus, not to you. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up and, uh, church, how much better how much more effective would our church be if we lived a life where we admit that we are the problem and Jesus is the solution? So I want to encourage you this. Think about somebody that you've criticized recently, somebody that you've judged or maybe you, you struggle with. Write down their name. I would encourage you to pray for them. Keep it somewhere that you see it. Hopefully, it doesn't, hopefully it's not your spouse. Maybe don't keep it in front of them. But, but pray with them. Ask for forgiveness. I'd encourage you, as I said, we have Bible studies uh, Thursday. We have a women's group. We have a men's group here Wednesdays. We have home groups. Have people that can disciple you, that can speak the truth into you. And lastly, this, the question of where has God been most patient with you and where do you need to be patient with God? As you think about that this week, as you pray about it, I would encourage you to share that with someone. Someone that can speak and encourage you and help you identify where God has been patient and where you need to be patient with God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are patient and you're kind and you're forbearance, that you, God, are the perfect and holy judge. God, the world is broken because we want to be the judge. We want to be the king. We want to sit on your throne and make those decisions. God, I know I I fall short there. And as Paul, as the chief of sinners, God, I pray that we would admit that. That we would live a life that the people around us that don't know you would see us living it out and say, there is something different. God, I pray for opportunities for us as a church to share the name of Jesus with our neighbors, to love them, to love our spouse, our kids. And for your name, to be glorified. God, I pray that we live a life of repentance where we come to you and say, God, I can't you know that and you make a way. We praise you for your son. We praise you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.